Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 62. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we've got a little follow-up to the Drabble news story that we ran a few months ago about the Jedi Church. It seems all is not well within the Republic. BBC News. A man posing as Darth Vader attacked a Star Wars fan who had founded a Jedi church. Arwell Wynne Hughes, 27, from Holyhead Anglesey, admitted assaulting Barney Jones and his cousin Michael with a metal crutch. Hughes, who was drunk and dressed in a black bin bag and cape, ran around shouting, Darth Vader, before jumping over a garden wall and assaulting the cousins who were filming themselves practicing with lightsabers. Barney and Michael recently started the Jedi Church in Holyhead in honor of the Star Wars Good Knights. The church delivers sermons based on Jedi teachings and concepts such as the Force, martial arts, and financial management. It has about 30 members locally and thousands worldwide. The pair believe very strongly in the church and their religion. Darth Hughes failed to arrive to court on time, and District Judge Andrew Shaw issued an arrest warrant, adding, I hope the Force will soon be with him. Hughes was eventually rousted up and plugged in front of a jury, where he said that he couldn't remember the incident, and only realized what had happened when he read about it in the local newspapers. On the night of the attack, he had drunk the best part of a ten-liter box of wine. The assault, however, was something that the two Jedi cousins won't forget anytime soon. Jedi Jones said Hughes hit him over the head with a metal crutch, leaving him with a headache. And Michael Jones was hit in the thigh, causing a bruise. Hughes said that he was sorry and that alcohol was ruining his life. Also, he had no idea where he'd got the crutch from. The judge warned Hughes that jail remained a possibility before adjourning for pre-sentence reports until May 13th. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on what happens next with Barney One Kenobi and Darth Loser. In the meantime, we've got some Drabble for you. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words long. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble story is from Merrill Page, a TV news editor living in California. His story is called Missing You. Doug looks earnestly into the news cameras. His burned face and body improve daily, he tells them. After the explosion that devastated the Arniston pipe plant, he was left nearly naked. His coveralls burned away. Only a crispy wafer that once was his name patch remained. I still can't believe I survived. Someone must have been watching over me, he thought as he returned to his apartment after the broadcast. Someone was waiting for him. A tall, dark figure holding a scythe. Wonderful speech on TV today, Doug. But you were wrong. No one's watching over you. I just forgot you. Thank you for the reminder. Well, our feature story this week is called Sizzle by Weldon Burge. Weldon's stories have appeared in The Edge, Future's Mysterious Anthology, Alien Skin, and Out and About. Glassfire Magazine just published his story, The Last Hookie, in its fall edition, and Grim Graffiti will be publishing his story, White Hell, Wisconsin, next month. Weldon has also appeared on the Drabblecast before with his story, Performance Anxiety, that we featured in Trifecta 2. 
So, without further ado, Sizzle by Weldon Burge. Will you shut up for five seconds? Dr. Lawrence Chambers tapped a staccato on his desk with his pencil. He hated talking to his wife on the phone, or at any time, for that matter. Just give me a chance to explain. I'm tired of listening, you sorry son of a bitch. I'm leaving you, Larry. I won't be here when you get home. It's not what you think, Joanna. Oh, not what I think. Not what I think. I want the bitch fired, terminated, dead. You know I can't do that. She's the most efficient nurse I've ever had. Joanna cackled like a crow. <laughs> no doubt. No need to be sarcastic. He wondered, as he often did these days, if living with her had become impossible. Maybe it wasn't worth it anymore. Listen, Joanna, I have one more patient, a new one. It shouldn't be too long. Wait for me. I'll be home in an hour and then we'll straighten this mess out. It really isn't what you think. There was a long pause. Chambers snapped the pencil in his hand, breaking the skin on his palm. He watched as a bead of blood formed on his lifeline. Damn you, Larry, she said. The ice had been chipped, but not broken. I'll wait, but I'm warning you, my bags are packed. You're not sweet-talking your way out of this one. I'm going to take you for all you've got. The house, the bank accounts, even the one you think I don't know about. The beach house. Half your income. Oh, oh, and your Mercedes, too. You bastard. The dial tone raked into his ear. He dropped the phone receiver into its cradle. Why even try to reconcile with her? If she wasn't such a spiteful bitch, he could get a clean and fair divorce. But, <laughs> no, not Joanna. She'd leech him to death. He'd had fantasies of having the bitch killed, but of course, he would never act on them. He'd seen enough Woody Allen movies to know that guys like him never got away with that kind of thing. Just then, Miss Lambert, his receptionist and nurse, stepped into his office. He looked up and smiled, instantly forgetting his phone conversation. He was amazed at how much pliable, willing flesh could be poured into a nurse's tight dress. She shut the door behind her and approached his desk. This one's a basket case, Larry. She handed him a manila folder. Martin Pleasanton, straight from the hills of West Virginia. I swear I heard dueling banjos when he walked into the reception room. He complains of a burning sensation on the back of his head. I examined him, but all I found was a slight inflammation at the base of his skull where he's been scratching. He's a peculiar old guy. Gave me the willies. Chambers opened the folder and glanced over the file. <laughs> Brain surgery? Chambers looked at her over the rim of his glasses. He wants brain surgery? She nodded. He wants you to cut the sizzle out of his brain. Is this all the information you could get out of him? He wouldn't talk. He said I'm one of them and couldn't be trusted. He refused to answer any more questions. The doctor removed his glasses. He pinched the bridge of his nose between thumb and forefinger. A cluster migraine lurked behind his right eye like a clawing malignancy. How does he know I'm not one of them, he said, whoever the hell they are. She threw up her hands. Looney Tunes, if you ask me. 
Well, send him in. Then you can go home. I don't think I'll be long with Mr. Pleasanton. He put on his glasses. He didn't want to miss her curvaceous departure. We're still on for tomorrow night? Wouldn't miss it. She smiled like a 15-year-old coquette. Oh, uh, one other thing. Hold your nose. <laughs> this guy apparently isn't familiar with indoor plumbing. After the usual amenities, Chambers balefully looked at the chunk of questionable humanity seated across the desk from him. Pleasanton embodied all that was least desirable about being in the medical profession. Chambers forced a Hippocratic smile. According to the scant information Pleasanton had offered Miss Lambert, he was 74. His sun-baked Saurian skin suggested greater antiquity. His appearance inspired no hope for an intelligent conversation. The man's teeth were black at the gums, scraps of God knows what lodged rotting between them. Although Chambers knew little about fashion, he knew a pile of filthy laundry when he saw one. Pleasanton smelled of sour urine, but Chambers couldn't tell if the odor was from perspiration or incontinence, or both. So, you're from Haskinville, the doctor asked. He pretended to study the file on his desk. No, sir, N not precisely. Pleasanton's voice was as gruff as his appearance. He scratched at the back of his head. And I ain't got no car. Had to walk all the way to Haskinville to catch the daggone bus. Must be a ten-mile walk. Seemed like thirty. Don't get out much, I guess. Never been to no doctor, neither. And you're a widower, Mr. Pleasanton. Marty. All my friends called me Marty. Okay, Marty. My wife had a, an accident. He sighed. He continued to scratch the back of his head. Bad. Real bad. Messy. She died quick, though. God bless her. I'm sorry to hear that. Pleasanton grimaced. His fingers tightened around something at the base of his skull. They did it. They always try and make me do things like that. They? Chambers looked at his watch. Looney Tunes was right. I'll get to that. Pleasanton made the motions of pulling something from his thick, gray hair. He opened his hand and, finding it empty, frowned. I'm just fine living alone in the mountains, up there with my goats and pigs and chickens and dogs. I got about ten dogs, all got the mange, so I suppose I ain't alone. Just don't have much use for folk, especially city folk. Chambers closed the manila folder and looked into the man's face. Pleasanton's eyes were dull, unfocused, and somewhat bloodshot. Chambers wanted to get the old fart out of his office, but he didn't want a future malpractice suit either. He'd humored his share of wackos during his career. Just required patience and some degree of acting ability. Tell me about this discomfort in your head, Mr. Pleasanton, he said. Marty, call me Marty. The old man pulled his chair closer to the desk, as if to impart a secret. It's all come about last fall, when I was pulling turnips and rutabagas. Felt this bug crawling up my neck, hereabouts. He reached behind his head to part his greasy hair, revealing large yellow stains under his arms. Thought it was one of them big grasshoppers, only it weren't no grasshopper. Then I heard the sizzle in my head. Not loud at the start, just a little sizzle, like bacon in my brain. Then the voices started. 
high voices like Mickey Mouse, but not nice like him. They always telling me what to do and what nasty things they'll do if I don't do like what they say. Acute paranoia, Chambers thought. Delusions of persecution, schizophrenia, definitely Looney Tunes. Maybe dangerously so. Who do you think they are? I ask them, but they don't answer. They just laugh. Perplexity came to Pleasanton's face like a frequent visitor. He seemed to deep dredge for a thought. Maybe they're Democrats. I voted Republican all my dad burned life. I suppose the Democrats hate that. I can assure you, they aren't Democrats. Commies, then. Maybe they have a machine for taking over folks' minds. You know how commie scientists are. They just love to mess with brains. Chambers leaned back in his chair. He mentally listed some psychologist friends, then tried to figure out which one would be the funniest to unload this guy on. Where do you think they're from, these things in your head? Pleasanton smiled. Outer space. He nodded. His smile stretched wider to display molars blackened by age and neglect. I used to think they was demons. That's poppycock. No sensible man believes in devils. So they must be from outer space. He nodded again, proud of his logic. Chambers turned his eyes to his desk. He couldn't stand to look at the man any longer. What do these things want, Marty? My brain. Don't you see? They told me they started with pigs and dogs and such. Simple animals, experimenting, learning how to control their brains. Then they came upon me. At first I did what they said, but I didn't like much what happened. So now I won't let them tell me nothing, and they don't like that much. No, sir. And that's why you came to me. Doctors cut cancer and other bad things out of people. Doctors sliced a rotten appendix out of my sister. She died, though. Gangrene. Lord, must have, must have been 30 years ago. Anyway, I, I want you to cut the sizzle out of me. I can pay for it. Got my life savings with me. It ain't gonna hurt much, is it? Chambers leaned forward, ignoring the man's overwhelming stench. Insanity wears many masks, he thought. Still, at least he wasn't home talking to Joanna. I honestly don't think I can help you, Marty, he said. I I'm not a surgeon, for one thing, just a general practitioner. I don't think any doctor can surgically remove what bothers you. It's not an organic problem. He noticed doubt and confusion clouding Pleasanton's eyes. But I do know someone who can help. It's uh, an associate of mine. Associate? Dr. Bernard Fowler, a psychologist. I think if you talk to him, he can... I know what a psychologist is. He glared at Chambers. You think I'm crazy? No, Marty, I I'm... Don't call me Marty. His lips receded, baring his teeth like a trapped cur. His brow tightened. You ain't no friend of mine. You one of them, ain't you? You want to hurt me. No, I, I want to help you. Chambers said, forcing his voice to be calm, when all he really wanted was to get this wacko out of his office. Liar! Pleasanton's knuckles ground on the arms of the chair as he heaved himself forward. The old man's fat face suddenly contorted, his eyes bulged, and then he fell back into the chair, hands grasping desperately at empty air. He gurgled in a mockery of a scream, his tongue stretched from the moist cavern of his mouth like a thick purple worm. 
Thinking the man was having an epileptic seizure, Chambers jumped to his feet and started around the desk. Spasms ripped through Pleasanton's body, his head wrenched forward. There was a sound like an overripe melon splitting, followed by a soft, wet pop. His head jerked again. He shuddered, and then pitched face down on the desk. Rancid smoke curled from a small, charred hole in the back of his head. Chambers pressed Pleasanton's slightly twitching wrist. No pulse. He examined the smoldering wound. Torn pieces of bone and skin seemed to be protruding away from the blackened brain tissue within. Chambers felt something crawling in his hair. My God. His fingers tore frantically at his scalp. There was nothing there. An invisible, searing blade pierced the base of his skull. Fiery pain flashed through his head like lightning. Every neuron, every brain cell was suddenly saturated in blistering acid. Chambers screamed. His hands gripped the sides of his head, as if he could squeeze the burning out of him. Agony and horror drove him to his knees beside the desk. Sizzling. It seemed to burn for minutes on end then abruptly stopped. Hi, Doc. A malicious, high-pitched voice whispered in his ear. The old geezer wasn't what we wanted anyway. Not very bright. We think you're our boy. First thing we want to do is kill your wife. You'll enjoy that, won't you? Then we have plans for you. Lots of plans. Chambers stood up stretched his neck back and forth, and then slowly looked around the room, as if taking everything in for the first time. His glance rested finally on a black-framed photo of Joanna, not quite smiling for the camera. The voice was right, he realized. There were quite a lot of things that he'd been meaning to do, and it really just came down to having a little encouragement. Almost absent-mindedly, he grabbed what used to be Martin Pleasanton by the collar and began dragging him toward the large coat closet at the back of his office. As he did so, he felt a pleasant, soft prickling at the base of his skull. There was a package of bacon in the fridge at home, and he made a mental note to have some of it once he got there, if time allowed. See, that's how insane people go when they really try and stick to the Atkins diet. Bacon. Must have carbs. Must kill Joanna. Feedback for episode 57, The Tiger Fortune Princess by Yuji Foster. This was a fairy tale that Miss Foster wrote set in ancient China. The listener response was good for the most part. Damien Walter thought it was really beautiful. He said, I like writing that lets the reader's imagination do the heavy lifting. That's how you really create a sense of wonder, and this story did that for me. Amber Mack said, So undrabble-esque. Up to this point, most of the stories I'd listened to here were great. Gross, but great. This was simply sweet and pretty, and so well done. The story was not without critics, though. Bold Deceiver thought Foster's use of warmed-over folkloric style was the exact opposite of strange stories from strange writers for strange listeners. He said, The use of such cookie-cutter conventions strikes me as rather rigidly conventional and unadventurous. Veburn also said, It was a bit cookie-cutter, which I guess is a requirement of a folktale, but it was good. As much as Drabblecast keeps you guessing, I'll still bet five bucks that the next story has some kind of poo reference. I mean, you gotta play the odds. 
The following week, we ran Eggs by Matthew Bay, a story with several poo references. Listener Izzy said, Basically, ew. No more, no less. I am not so pleased with this Drabblecast. Sure, the writing was good, but I feel that the Drabblecast is often about the same gross stuff every week. Same song and dance, different day. To sum it up, can we have some non-death-oriented gore-fest stories? I guess you can't please them all. A lot of people did like eggs, though. Hokey Geek said, I was less interested in the characters as people than as battlefields. I was listening closely to the parasite counts and felt some relief when I learned that all the eggs and the baby were destroyed. As a parent, the thought that it was possible to protect my children from gut-liquefying parasites through the exercise of proper cleaning techniques was quite uplifting. P.S. The cat splash sound effect at the beginning was the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Bravo. Yes, that was my cat, Carl Ruggles, making his debut podcast performance. I was very proud of him. We'd love to have your feedback and inclusion in the forums. You can join from the link on our website at www.drabblecast.org. There, you can also chuck a donation our way if you enjoy what we do and want to help us pair authors and keep on trucking. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can't change it or sell it without our permission, but you can share it with whoever you want, whenever you want. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to listen to the evil, high-pitched, insane demon alien in your head and vote for Hillary. She has plans for you. Big plans. Cause I brought the cash, that's a fact. And boss man said, yeah, we got what you need, but you're gonna have to take it round back. You're gonna have to take it round back.